Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Ron Jorlock, and I want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Today, I'm joined by Dr. David Mathis to talk about his new book, Rich Wounds, The Countless Treasures of the Life, Death, and Triumph of Jesus. David Mathis uh, serves as executive director at DesiringGod.org, and he's the pastor of Cities Church, uh, and he's an adjunct professor at Bethlehem College and Seminary. And he's authored and co-authored several books, including Workers for Our Joy, uh, Habits of Grace, and How to Stay Christian in Seminary. Uh, Dr. Mathis, thanks for coming back on the podcast to discuss your latest book. Good, good to be talking to you guys again. Enjoyed yeah. the last time. Yeah, same, same, absolutely. Uh, so why, why did you decide to write Rich Wounds? What, what, what did you uh, hope that readers would take away from these meditations? Well, for, for years, uh, I have loved writing meditations on the glories of Christ. And, and, and probably originally it's inspired by reading John Piper's book, Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ, back when I was in college, Furman University, mm-hmm. uh, in 2001, 2002, 2003. And uh, I, I love reflecting on the glory of our Savior as God and man, uh, human body and soul and fully divine human emotions and and just little glimpses and the different episodes of his life. I love to see the glory of the God hand on display in humanity in the person of Christ. And so over the years, Advent became a time for me to really focus on the glories of his birth and the incarnation. And one thing I love to do in the run up to Easter, especially Holy Week, is is meditate on his glory, especially in that final week of his life, from Palm Sunday through Spy Wednesday, when the traitor emerges and turns on him, and Monday Thursday and Good Friday. And so a few years ago, I did a book of meditations for Advent, and the Good Book Company, they had the idea, I can't think of the idea, they asked if I would put some together for the spring season, you know, for the Lent season. And... Uh, I, 46 days of Lent seems like a lot to me. I I don't celebrate Lent personally and our family and our church doesn't do it the same way we do Advent. You know, Advent's 22 to 26 days. Lent is, is twice the length, mm-hmm. but Holy Week is eight days. And as a family and as a church, we really dig in at Holy Week. And so I brought these meditations together for, in particular, for the spring season, hoping it would be a useful resource for folks who are looking for devotions in the Lent season, especially that last week leading up to Easter. But I, I hope it's timeless and can be used anytime during the year. And the, the way it breaks down is a first section meditates on little aspects of his life. And before getting to the death, resurrection, Holy Week, I wanted to linger over some aspects of his life, like his habits, his sleep, his discipling his teaching. Mm -hmm. And then the second section are meditations on the meanings of his death, what what he's accomplishing in his death, celebrating the glories of his death. A third section then on the glories of the resurrection, which in particular with this project I was excited about because we do often talk about the, the glories of his death and we do celebrate the resurrection really well. 
one day a year. <laughs> and sometimes it can feel like, oh, at resurrection. If you talk about resurrection, I think that's an Easter thing. So we can give more attention to the resurrection. So I, I loved lingering in that section on the resurrection. Then the final section is eight meditations on the eight days of Holy Week. So it's one for each day of the week. Mm-hmm. And I hope that will be useful for Christians any time of year, but especially that week leading up to Easter to prepare the mind and heart for making the most of that glorious Easter Sunday with the church. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I love the way that you structured the book. Uh, I, I thought that you did a um, it's really helpful that you structured it that way. I, I want to focus on part one for a second, uh, you know, so the part on Jesus's life. Uh, you wrote a chapter in there on the shortest verse of the Bible, and anybody aspiring to, uh, to, to win a game of Jeopardy or anything like that, that's, that would be John eleven thirty five. 35. Uh, so just two words, Jesus wept. Now, how can we learn from Jesus's life, especially as we reflect on you know his life, his his death, his his triumph, and so on? But even just little things like that, you know, his his emotions, you know, uh, uh, the depths of his humanity, you know, how how can we learn from uh, from from these various aspects of of, uh, of our Lord? Well, in, in particular, with uh, John eleven thirty five. And focusing on his his weeping, and it's it's there are multiple emotions there. I mean, there's there's a kind of anger or outrage mm-hmm. at death, and there's a a sorrow, and mixed with that, a kind of compassion for Mary and for Martha and and for Lazarus, and and so uh, uh, it, it became an opportunity to really focus on Jesus' human emotions, mm-hmm. which is an aspect that's often overlooked. I mean, sometimes we will. We'll talk about, you know, in the big categories, fully God and fully man. And we may get to that, you know, real human body, contradocetism. He's a real human. And then you, you start carving deeper and and it's it's more controversial and more difficult. We have less text to go on. It, it was really uh, became a, an issue of, of controversy later and later in the church. The second one is, is about his human emotions. And, uh, and uh, one way that Calvin talked about it is that uh, the good shepherd... Uh, put on the whole sheep, not just the skin. Mm. You know, he is he is human all the way through in his inner man, in his outer man, a fully human body, and as the creed says, a reasonable soul, a reasoning soul, which gets at that both the mental, intellectual uh, capacities of a human being, infinitude, omniscience is what it's called, as opposed to omniscience, and then in his human emotions, he has human emotions. Uh, as we do, and so one place in particular where they're on su- where his human emotions are on such clear display is in the morning of the death of Lazarus. And clearly, Jesus he knows he's going to raise him. He's already told the disciples this is not going to end in death, but it's for the Son of Man to be glorified. Uh, he knows what's going to happen, which I-, I think is is really helpful for us as Christians because at, we do we know the end. Like we know that Jesus triumphs. We know that eternal life is coming. We have these glorious things that are part of our faith where we know with certainty, you know, the certainty of faith uh, in its relative measures, we know what's going to happen. And yet Jesus, he, he doesn't shirk the moment. He enters into the moment. That is real weeping mm-hmm. from Mary. And that's real pain. And there's a, a real specter of horror with death. He's going to go to the cross to conquer death. 
And so it, it's right that you'd be frustrated and outraged with death and that he would mourn alongside Mary and Martha for the death of Lazarus and with them and, and with them mourn the pain of death all around. And so it's, it's a beautiful thing for Jesus to put his humanity on display in that moment in the Gospel of John, and as well as to give us human permission, human encouragement to dignify the moments of pain, of righteous anger, and of real sorrow in our lives who are in the human experience, even though we know the end. We're not supposed to have that, have us suppress or shirk the moment. We own the moment, we own the pain, and we too weep like Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing to see our Savior identify us, uh, identify with us in the depths like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, when we look at the, the scriptures, you'll see over um, and over again where the Lord will talk about his suffering. He'll predict his suffering, and he says how he must suffer. You know, the Son of Man must suffer, uh, and he must be, you know, crucified. He, you know, and 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 so on. And so you you before we before we get into a conversation on his resurrection, you you talk about his death. Um, what? Why did he have to die? You know, why why did he have to suffer this way? What are what are some of the uh, both the reasons and even some implications for for the fact that Jesus. Uh, saved us, and he was our substitute in this way. And one approach to that is is we could, you could grant the salvation of his church and then say, for that to happen, he must die. That's, mm-hmm. one, that's one approach to it. Mm-hmm. Another one is to talk about the glory of his Father and to go even more ultimate, mm-hmm. uh, the glory of God himself. And that and this would be, this approach would be coming at it through Romans 3 that God had passed over former sins, that God had decided he had willed that he would not punish Adam and Eve's sin to the full extent that he could at that moment when they sinned from the beginning. And through a history of depravity and sin among God's people, both pagans who did not know him and the tragedy of his own people who had his own oracles and should have known better and tragically sinned against him, God is... He's, he's holding aside. He, he's passing over these sins to that moment where he knows he himself in the person of his son will come and will make a, a reckoning for that sin uh, for those who are his by faith. And so that, that's that's one necessity, the, the, the divine necessity. If you look at it from that moment in Scripture, I mean, you can get outside of Scripture theologically and you can say, well, there's, in, in one sense, there's no necessity. God can just punish sin. He doesn't owe salvation to anyone. Mm-hmm. But once he decides, once he has committed, he is going to save his people. He's going to demonstrate his steadfast love, his faithfulness, that he's a God gracious and merciful. That's how he will show himself. That's who he is. And he's going to do that, distinguishing between those who are not his people and those who are his people. Then there's the necessity of vindicating the glory of God and his purposes in the universe in sending his son to the cross and his son as God himself owning that and embracing it in the garden of Gethsemane. And just because God's glory is in view and Christ's own joy is in view, that does not mean that love toward his people is not in view. It is all bound up in one whole to the glory of God, the son's own pursuit of his joy in being seated at the father's right hand for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame and he's seated at the right hand of his father. Mm. So the son 
he sees his work. Isaiah 58, 11 talks about he, he will see his offspring and be satisfied. Yeah. And that's where the, that's where we as people get drawn in. That, that, that's the, the glorious backdrop in which we are loved as those who are in Christ. It is not love on our own. It's not love because we deserve it. Within this stable, anchored backdrop of the son seeking his father's glory and pursuing his joy, even through the sorrow and pain of the cross, we are loved. God demonstrates his love for us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mm. And so uh, I only do seven meditations mm. on the death of Jesus, but we will meditate on the glories of the death of Christ forever. <laughs> there are limitless glories to uh, to ponder for us as those who were saved in his death. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm reminded of 1 John 4. Uh, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And you go, that's a loaded statement. God is love. So, John, you're going to have to back that up a little bit. You know, what, what, do, what do you mean by that? And he says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And he goes, no, 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 hold on. i, I got to explain what that means. So in this <laughs> is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And and there you have the cross. There you have, you know, the suffering. There you have the, you know, taking our sin upon, you know, upon his shoulders and, and receiving, you know, the wrath of God on our behalf and all of that. And so then he says, beloved, if God so loved us, you know, and you have the word, you know, hutas there, if God, if God loved us in this way, if this is the demonstration of God's love toward us, we also ought to love one another. Um, and so, yeah, you know, what, what, is, what is the foundation of Christian love? The cross. <laughs> what, what is the, you know, foundation of, of our love for him, you know, uh, uh, and, and, you know, uh, how we understand love at all? It's, it's Jesus. It's, it's what he has done on the cross and shedding his blood for our sins and, uh, and for our redemption. And so, yeah, yeah, all of that is, is just, yeah, you could be there forever <laughs> writing volume upon volume. Uh, yeah, it's uh, praise God for eternity because we're going to need we're going to need more time <laughs> to uh, to unpack just the, the wonders of, of, of the cross and of uh, our Lord's sacrifice for us. But of course, he doesn't end there. It doesn't end with the grave. It it ends with, with resurrection and triumph and, and so on. And I've, I've noticed in some of the ways that we talk about the resurrection and, and some of the ways we talk about our Lord's exaltation, that, that we can, uh, kind of what we were saying about the cross, just as we can reduce it and, and not really take the time to meditate on the far-reaching ramifications of, of, of Christ's work in, on the cross, we can do the same thing with his resurrection. We can completely shortchange and and reduce uh, what he has done, you know, in his resurrection. And so let's 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 expand a little bit. What what are what are some of the implications of 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 our Lord's triumph over death, over over sin, and over death? What are some of the Im- implications of that? For Christians that are living in a fallen world where there is sickness and there's suffering and there's pain and there's even dying, you know, for us, how does the resurrection change the game for us uh, in, in this fallen world? 
Well, I mean, one way, just on the surface initially, is his resurrection is a pioneering mm-hmm. resurrection. That's, mm-hmm. that's the language of Hebrews, the archagos, the forerunner, the pioneer, that he goes before us. Paul talks about the first fruits. He's the first fruits of the new creation. He's the first one to break through the barrier of death and go into heaven as human. Mm-hmm. And so he brings in his train in his way. He's like the pioneer with the machete. You know, he 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 carves through the the brush or through yeah. through the curtain you know, yeah. into the holy of holies, and he brings in his train. He brings his people with him. So it's a pioneering resurrection, and it's always connected to the resurrection of his church. We will be raised like he was raised, and so Paul celebrates in Philippians three that. He will transform our lowly bodies mm-hmm. to be like his glorious body that he has now seated seated on heaven's throne. One thing I I love to emphasize <laughs> uh, in, in, in one very simple way, like that he rose means he's alive. Yeah. Right now. If, if he's dead, uh, there's no good news. Not only because he accomplished it and we can't get connected to it, but because he's at the very heart of it. Mm-hmm. He's going to be at the very center of heaven forever. We are going to enjoy him, worship him, delight in him. He is what is going to make heaven be so great, you know, not just mm-hmm. everlasting golf. Or, uh, <laughs> so uh, the fact that the, the resurrection is absolutely critical, that, that Jesus is alive to be our living Lord. There mm-hmm. is go- no good news. If the groom of the church is dead, yeah. <laughs> the groom yeah. must be alive for us to enjoy the eternal marriage mm-hmm. uh, and, and the joy that we have to come. And he must be alive for us to be connected to him by faith. So what he accomplished on the cross uh, is all fine and good and an amazing achievement. But if he's not alive, then his work's not vindicated and we can't get connected to it. Mm-hmm. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't pass to us through a bank account. It doesn't come with an Amazon delivery. Like the way that we get connected to the achievement of the cross is by faith. Mm. Faith by the power of the Holy Spirit joins us to Jesus Mm. such that our sins are reckoned in his cross and that his life is brought to us. And we, we live in him by faith. Mm. And so it is absolutely critical that Jesus be alive, that we have any salvation, that we enjoy it forever. And one thing in recent years, I've really enjoyed lingering over not just at easter but year round i mean sometimes we talk about we, we talk about the resurrection it's on easter sunday we move on pretty quick but a couple very key steps that come after that resurrection are one the ascension yeah he doesn't just rise hang out around here for 40 days that ascension is critical that finishes his rising so there is there's the rising of easter from from the dead up back to the earth but then at the ascension, there's the rising to heaven mm-hmm. where he presents his work and goes before us into the very presence of God. So the ascension is absolutely critical in getting what he accomplished down here to count up there for us. And then uh, in heaven, he is exalted. He's coronated. There, there, the coronation is coming up about a month from now. Mm-hmm. This is going to be the first coronation in what, like 70 years Something in the like UK? That, yeah. yeah. Uh, and in a coronation, many of us have never seen one of these, you know, in an English-speaking country on TV or whatever. You know, we, have, we haven't witnessed a, a British coronation in our lifetimes. It'll be an interesting thing, thing to see, that when a kingdom brings together all of its 
resources, have a big celebration to honor the new king. This is a this is a big event. And the best earthly coronations are only a faint glimmer of that coronation in heaven. When Jesus ascended, he comes to the throne. His father says, sit down, my son, sit down in the seat of honor of the universe. And Jesus is exalted and he's crowned with many crowns. I love that hymn. I'm growing up in Spartanburg, South Carolina, we sang crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne, celebrating that his exaltation, his coronation, which is made possible by his resurrection. So he rises in the resurrection. He rises again when he ascends. He rises to the throne in heaven and is exalted. And then, and then Romans 8 tells us he's interceding for us. He remains on the throne. And by his very breath, by his very life, the beating of his divine human heart, he is our entrance into the throne of grace now in prayer and in the presence of God forever uh, because of Jesus. And so th those aspects, ascension, coronation, exaltation, and intercession are vital extensions of that reality of his resurrection that we, uh, we do well to celebrate. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, it's, 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 it's interesting when we think about all of these different aspects of of, of the story, it, it makes me, to be honest, kind of kind of wonder what it would be like to be in a high church setting, uh, because low church we we have this sense of um, Christmas and Easter, and then you know the rest of the story you know just kind of goes, <laughs> just kind of just kind of disappears. Uh, but exactly what you're saying, you know, with with the uh, with the ascension. Um, uh, you know, with his exaltation and 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 so on. That's something that is to be remembered. Uh, you know, throughout throughout the year, even after that Pentecost. You know, with the coming of the Spirit, that should be remembered. You know, every, every uh, all throughout the year. And and I, I wonder about that. You know, we think, you've mentioned it a couple of times already. How on Easter, you know, it's a high time, you know, for, for the church, you know, perhaps the highest, you know, uh, of, of, of our uh, um, uh, holidays, if you will, holy, holy days, remembering, you know, that our Savior has risen from the dead and, um, and that he is alive, not he was alive like Lazarus for a bit, and then he, you know, had a second, uh, you know, death and burial. Which poor guy, you know, <laughs> you just really have to have to feel for twice. Lazarus, yeah, to have to do this twice. But uh, but you think of you think of Easter, and then after Easter you have you know the next gathering, you know, next Sunday, and then you have the next gathering and the next gathering and so on. And and we kind of forget that you know every Sunday is Easter Sunday, you know every every gathering is a resurrection gathering. You know we're we're living in the resurrection life of Jesus every single second, uh, you know because he is alive and he is never to die again. He you know he died once for all and and now he lives and and he has conquered death and so on. Why? Why is it so hard for us to connect the dots with that? And what can we do to keep those those dots connected? That's a great question. I, I think that's huge. I mean, it, it gets at uh, 
the some deep subtleties perhaps of of modern of the modern world of modern epistemology of a progress narrative of inundation with a 24 7 news cycle mm. so uh, on the one hand i i do think that uh over the over the course of the church for 2000 years they they probably did a better job going deep in the in their cyclical patterns mm-hmm. in an annual church calendar uh they did a good job probably better than us in going deep and understanding that uh human knowledge doesn't only grow by new facts mm-hmm. uh, new information mm-hmm. but probably the most significant way that human knowledge is enriched is by going deeper in what you already knew or yeah. getting yeah. more out of what you've already got there so for instance it can be very easy to think, uh, you know, I, I need I need some new information. I'm, I'm starting with something new. I need news. I need something from somewhere else. And I, I already know the gospel. I've heard about Jesus died. I've heard about his resurrection. I've heard about these things. Like, I already got that stuff. And so now I need to move on to this new information. As life rolls on, it's the great progress of history rolls on. I need to stay up to date with the progress of history. That's, that's just, that's not, that's not the biblical presupposition. That's not how Christians have been their healthiest mm-hmm. for 2,000 years. And so uh, one, one way to push back against the tides of that subtle pressure all around us all the time is go through this book, the Bible, over yeah. and over again. He, mm-hmm. he's, God's not giving us new revelation in the church age. He wants us to go deep in this book. Now, it's a big book. This is a lifetime project mm-hmm. to work through this book in a in a meditative way over and over and over again. And it gives its greatest rewards at a fifth reading or eighth or 20th or 50th reading, mm-hmm. not the first one. Now, you can't get to the 20th one until you do the first one and the second one. So if you're doing the first one through Ezekiel, be encouraged. You got to do your first reading through Ezekiel to get to your 25th. Yep. And you got to do your 10th reading through the Gospels to get to your 50th. And I, I, one way that we can stand against that, that modern penchant for the new is to just to start the day with the old. Mm-hmm. Start the day with the ancient book, with the old, old story. Uh, and and I, I promise if you will come to the Bible at a different pace than modern life, we have been taught to read screens in the F pattern and we fly through our, our phones and our digital pixels and our screens. Uh, so maybe it's good. Grab a paper Bible, read it at a different speed, read it at the speed of understanding, at the speed of emotional understanding, unhurried, go deep in it, ask God to show you himself and touch your heart. And let a reading and rereading and rereading of the Bible shape the way you think about the world. It, it, it may be that the 24-hour, 24-7 news cycle will, will have less glitch to it. Mm-hmm. When you see that, you know, I'm getting, I get way more out of 20 minutes of a slow read of the Bible than hours of reading news articles. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to change the proportions in my life. Uh, so I'm not advocating that anybody bug out of modern life. But I am advocating that most of us should spend a lot more time enjoying the Bible. Mm-hmm. And that would I think that would do what you're saying, Ron, in terms of uh, in terms of having us go deep in the things that we already know. Our, our church is preaching through Hebrews. Mm-hmm. And there's that charge again and again to hold fast yeah, to the yeah. original confidence. Go, mm-hmm. go deep in what you've got. You don't you actually don't need to move on to other stuff. Hold fast to what you've got. Go deep in what you've got, which is a, a recurring theme. And Paul in the Apostle John, in Peter, 
and uh, it should be in our lives as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, the final part of your book is on Passion Week. Yeah. Uh, you, you mind taking some time and just walking us through the week? Uh, what, what's, what's going on in, in this week and what, what's so to. significant about it? This is, uh, I grew up in a church where we did some branches, palm branches uh-huh. on Palm Sunday. So yeah. I have those memories. That's so, so great for kids. I mean, the, the prop like that is such a vivid memory yeah. for the kids. And, you know, the humble king coming in, not on the noble steed, but, you know, on, on a donkey mm-hmm. on, on Palm Sunday. So there's both the, the regal expectations of, you know, is this the one, is this a long promised Messiah who's a kingly royal figure? And yet he comes as Zechariah prophesied in a mountain on a donkey and this in humility. And uh, so that's, that's, that's Sunday. There are there are some events in the Gospels and Monday and Tuesday of clearing of the temple, mm-hmm. especially of long dialogues with scribes and Pharisees, mm-hmm. where the conservative and progressive leaders in Jerusalem are shaking hands across the aisle to get rid of this Jesus figure that they have envy for because he's carrying so many people. And uh, it's happening Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. In the history of the church, this is not as broad as some of the other days of Holy Week. Uh, but Wednesday has been called Spy Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday is the day when Judas emerges as the traitor. Uh, he goes to the leadership. They set the slave price of 30 pieces of silver, and he decides he'll deliver Jesus at an opportune time. And he, when Jesus is teaching in the temple and multitudes are around and people are everywhere, there's, there's not a safe space to arrest someone who's so manifestly good. But if they can get it done at night under the cloak of darkness when the crowds aren't around if they can get access to jesus in the right time and move the trial forward and have their accusations and have something stick and have a formal charge and move it forward they need a they need a mole and judas in his love for money becomes uh that foothold and all according to the plan of god mm-hmm. and then on that thursday we call it Monday thursday comes from probably comes from the Latin, the Latin mandatum command. Mm-hmm. So that would mean Monday Thursday is Thursday of the command. It's like, okay, well, what's the command? Probably the command in mind is John 13, 34 and 35. Greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. As you have, as I have loved you, so you should love one another. That's the command to love one another, mm-hmm. which first John is going to say, it's, it's this an old command, but now it's new. It's new in that you have seen it done by Christ himself. There's more power for doing it now. You've seen the example um, by Christ himself in the newness. But even though we call it Maundy Thursday, just the old uh, kind of old Latin origin name for it, the emphasis of Maundy Thursday is not on our love. Mm-hmm. The emphasis of Maundy Thursday is on his love. Yeah. <laughs> and Jesus said, as I have loved you. So he loves us to the uttermost hmm. by going to the cross. I mean, um, as we're recording this, Monday, Thursdays next week, preparing a, a meditation for Monday, Thursday, and trying to think how how uh, how much application does it need to be? You know, do I think about something in our lives that, that Monday, Thursday can serve? And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Monday, Thursday. It's just a time to stand in awe. Mm-hmm. You know, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus yeah. and Nazarene. For yeah. me, it wasn't the garden. He prayed, not my will, but thine. Mm-hmm. He had no sins for his own griefs, but sweat drops of blood for mine. So Monday, Thursday is a, an amazing time to 
be marked to marvel at his love mm -hmm. that he would go into that garden and he would make the final choice. You know, at, at any point the, the the course could have altered and you know, he's headed to Jerusalem. It's the last week of his life. There's the last supper. There's still time to flee until the guards show up with Judas and he's kissed. And then at that point he's in custody. And so he's there in the garden and he's, confirming that final choice the greatest act of obedience in the history of the world and so there he's in the garden and he prays if it's possible and god makes it clear it's not possible for it to be another way and he embraces god's will and he says may your will be done not my will not my human will but your divine will be done mm -hmm. and so the there's a sacredness on that thursday night to walk with jesus into that night good friday it's an amazing thing we call it good friday uh, because it's the worst friday in one mm -hmm. sense the worst friday in the history of the world there has never been a greater act of injustice perpetrated in the history of the world than that man killed the perfect son of god mm -hmm. and yet because it was a death that was for us and because he rose, we now, we come to it as Good Friday. So, you know, even as we may as Christians with our services, we may go through the motions uh, with a Good Friday service in honoring his death with sobriety and even kind of somberness. We know it's good. Yeah. We're celebrating it because we know he's accomplished that for us. And there's a goodness. That is the, the accomplishment of the gospel and the finality of his achievement. Saturday, often called Holy Saturday. Uh, I got to imagine uh, it felt like the longest day mm -hmm. in their lives for his disciples. Um, and he rested on the Sabbath and uh, showed himself to be fully dead. And then, of course, the triumph of Easter Sunday that we love to celebrate. Early morning on Easter Sunday, he rose. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that, that, there's the, the Holy Week from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. And it, it's a beautiful thing to walk through that. Uh, in, in one sense, we, we want to walk through it every day of our lives as we rehearse various aspects of the gospel and tell ourselves the truth and read the Bible. And and then it's a, it's a beautiful thing to do so corporately in a particular way. So we do that in our church. Not all churches do that in kind of in terms of the walking through the whole week. Uh, but if, if your church doesn't walk through the whole week in that way, uh, there is an opportunity to do it with your family. And that's, that's what I hope those last eight chapters of the book can be for individual devotions, family devotions, a chance to kind of just five minutes a day, give that focus and walk through that last week with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you, even just just going through it in these last couple of minutes and just thinking our way through the week is is just so meaningful you know it's it's um kind of like what paul said to the thessalonians to encourage one another with these things you know as he was speaking on something else but uh but but you know there's there's meaning and and purpose in reminding ourselves of these things you know what our lord did and 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 why he did this he did this for us he did this for mm -hmm. our salvation he did this for our, uh, you know, for our redemption. You know, you were talking about Saturday, and it reminded me of an Andrew Peterson song, uh, "God Rested," uh, mm -hmm. which is it was one of those songs that I, I remember hearing, and I had never really taken the time to think that it was the Sabbath. 
and the Lord had finished his work. <laughs> and and he rested from from his work. The work is done to Telestai. And uh, and and to take the time to rest on the Sabbath day, on the seventh day, uh, and then of course, um, uh, and and I'm a, I'm a big Andrew Peterson fan, and so uh, you know you, the the song his heart beats, uh, yeah, like you know it, it's just we it's one of the songs on Easter Sunday that we just turn all the way up, <laughs> and uh, and and we just yell, you know, oh death, oh death, where is your sting, you know. I mean, it's just uh, just the triumph, you know, of our of our Lord over the curse, and uh, and that it is lifted. He is uh, our risen Savior, and and He rules and He reigns. Yeah. Uh, what what are some details of the Easter story? So let's talk Sunday and 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 so on. What are some details that that we may not always think about? You know, that we may not consider, especially during uh, uh, Holy Week. You know, the, uh, uh, his own disciples, I mean, they don't get it until it happens, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, he, he's told them it is necessary for the son of God, for the son of man to suffer and die and be raised. Like he's told them the cross is coming mm-hmm. and resurrection is coming, but they don't have categories for it. They, I don't know if they're thinking it's figurative. I mean, this happens to us all. I mean, so, so often I'll, I'll uh, hear people talk about, uh, growing up in a church, and I never heard the gospel growing up. It's like, well, maybe you didn't, uh, or maybe you heard it a lot, <laughs> and you never received it. You, it, yeah. it never clicked. The Holy Spirit never brought it to life. You know, mm-hmm. Is that, and the, the disciples had heard ahead of time what was going to happen, but it, it didn't register spiritually. So even on that Sunday morning, you know, they they hear the report that the body's gone. Peter and John you know, come running to check it out and see the tomb is empty. And the question is like, the, the assumption is that somebody has taken the body somewhere. So mm-hmm. even, mm-hmm. even on this day, yeah. that's their first assumption. They go home, <laughs> according to John 20. And then Jesus appears uh, to Mary and lets her know, go tell the disciples are risen. And so it, it, it's an amazing thing to, to sit there and, and watch how, and think about how the lights must have come on for them and the implications and uh, the following of the absolute dashing destruction of their hopes, utterly total decimation of Friday and Saturday. And then for the flood of good news to come in, too much to handle all at once. And they, they must It must have been days or weeks in the making. And, and of course, poor Thomas, right? Mm-hmm. Eight days <laughs> Thomas waits. To, uh, to get to see Jesus face-to-face. Is Jesus, he's got perfect timing. He's got his purpose for Thomas. He's going to let Thomas sit on this for a little bit, and he'll reveal himself to Thomas in eight days and uh, and overcome his doubts and say, blessed are those who who believe without seeing. Uh, so the, the testimony of uh, the women, the slow belief of the disciples, uh, I mean, in, in Matthew's gospel, you have the, the plot of the Jerusalem leaders to pay off the soldiers and to spread the word the disciples came and stole the body. Mm-hmm. You've got that being, that being spread. Uh, well, one of my favorite details uh, of the resurrection and kind of the aftermath of the resurrection is, uh, and this happened with Thomas, the other disciples, uh, they see Jesus' scars. Mm. Um, so one of the, one of the ways they know that it's him, apparently a glorified body is it's recognizable 
but maybe not immediately recognizable. Like the, 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 the risen body is so glorious that one doesn't immediately recognize it, but then with a little bit of reflection or some confirmation of details, then you see it. It's like, yes, that is him. And one of the details, you know, he, he wants to, John, uh, Thomas wants to put his hand mm-hmm. in his hands and on his side, and Jesus, Jesus shows him the scars, which is a remarkable thing because I, I think uh, my assumption probably would have been, oh, resurrection body doesn't have scars, and, you know. <laughs> Beautiful, resurrected hands, you know, no scars on them, uh, nothing on the brow, nothing on the side. But yet God chooses to glorify the scars. And and I wonder if there's something there for us to consider. Uh, There's a larger picture of what God is doing in the pain, in the suffering, in death, in our lives. Uh, Those are not things that will merely be erased. There are are aspects, I'm sure, that will be erased and forgotten. There are other aspects of great pain of great suffering that will be glorified. Mm-hmm. They will be all the more glorious because they have been redeemed. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is not less glorious in his risen glorified human body because he has scars. He's more glorious for the scars. Like yeah. He got the scars saving us. And five bleeding wounds he bears, they pour effectual prayers. These are, they exude glory for his people, for us to look on the scars and say, he got those scars to save his church. Mm-hmm. Glory be to him. Those are glorious scars. And so uh, that was that's the reason for titling the book, Rich Wounds, which comes from crowning him with many crowns. Mm-hmm. Rich wounds, yet visible above, in beauty glorified. Mm-hmm. I love that glimpse of Jesus himself and the gospel that saves us anchored in the person himself, uh, in the glorified Christ. Yeah. I tell you this, we could sit here all day long and just glory in our savior, you know, uh, glory in his sacrifice, glory in his death in his burial in his resurrection in his, um, his ascension, um, in his coronation, as you said, uh, you know, there the hope that we have, the certainty that we have in His return, is because He was so faithful in all of the other things. Um, you know, and and you know, not only just faithful as in He did it, but but He He excelled <laughs> in 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 all that He has done. Uh, he did it perfectly uh, for uh, for us and for His glory and. And yeah, uh, the, the new Jerusalem is going to be a is is going to be lit. <laughs> you know, just all of us gathering together. You know, uh, uh, speaking of 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 his redemption. You know, of what he not only what he has done, but what he has done for us. You know, and even more what he has done for me. You know, and we will and we will tell of of his greatness, tell of his grace forever. It, uh, they're just. There is no better news than the good news, and uh, and yeah, thank you so much for uh, for for leading us through that. Any any final words of encouragement for our pastors, church leaders that are listening this week? Well, I mean, uh, it, it may be too late for pastors to make big change plans for this year, uh, but something to think for the future years. I mean, the pastors at our church, we do love making the most of this occasion. So um, our big event, we, we do a little uh, 
designed this years ago. We have some stations of the cross that we set up Tuesday and Wednesday. Folks can come in. The church is open for a few hours during the day. I might do three evenings. And folks can come in and move throughout the building and just slowly walk through mm. some of the details of that week, kind of leading up to the cross. And then we'll do a, a Maundy Thursday service. And uh, so a word of encouragement for pastors, oh, brothers, make the most of it. it. It's a great time. It's one thing, I mean, uh, a benefit of Christmas in some ways, it, it's a mixed blessing. I mean, everybody is in our culture and society, there's all this Christmas talk, all this Christmas stuff. And, and there's a chance to make the most of that. And the danger with it is there can be huge distractions with Santa and all this other secular stuff that's not about the real reason for Christmas. One thing about Easter is there's not all the same cultural noise like there's at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have that wave to kind of ride, but you don't also have the same distortions. I mean, bunnies, bunnies and eggs is just not nothing like Santa and else. Right. <laughs> and so there's not as many of those distractions. It is really a chance for us to make the most of the occasion of the church. Mm-hmm. Others aren't going to make that for you. You can do it as a pastoral team with your planning and then lean into those opportunities to uh, to, to make it sweet. And, uh, if you do a midweek article to write something related to Holy Week for your people and uh, there's an opportunity for Monday, Thursday or some churches do Monday, Thursday and Good Friday. Mm-hmm. And uh, and just personally, whether for pastors or anybody who listens, uh, it's a great excuse, just like December is a great excuse for it. 25-day special study about Christmas from December 1 to 25. Holy Week is a it's a great excuse to do an eight-day focused fo- eight-day focused plan on Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's no better way to do it than just in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would encourage anybody listening to make the most of Holy Week. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Mathis. Thank you for 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 joining our discussion and thank you for writing this book. Mm-hmm. Thank you, brother. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I do recommend uh, Dr. Mathis's new book, Rich Wounds, to you. It's a great resource, not only for Easter season, but but even after, as we seek to remember the resurrection and live in the resurrection life day by day. If you're listening and you haven't purchased a copy of Rich Wounds, why don't you consider doing that today? Uh, you won't regret adding this book to your library. And uh, also, I want you to go to uh, the Good Books website. Uh, from what I hear, there are some additional resources that you can download free of charge, uh, including a few Easter reading plans and so on as well. You just visit thegoodbook.com and search Rich Wounds, and you'll be able to find all those resources. I want to thank you, listener, for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found this conversation helpful, why don't you consider leaving us a five-star rating and and review? We'd love to hear any feedback that you're willing to give to us. As always, it's our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors, and I hope we've done that with today's conversation. And as always, my brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.